part four um, of this series on um, the modern social social justice movement or uh, social justice theory, as it's been called, or commonly, most commonly, uh, self-proclaimed wokeness. Um, the first three podcasts cover what are the big ideas of this modern movement. Don't really interact with them a ton. I just tried to explain the big ideas, uh, particularly as we see them in some of the most popular books, White Fragility, Color of Compromise, How to Be an Anti-Racist. There's, of course, other books. Those are some of the most popular ones that if you want to learn more about uh, the modern social social justice movement as it relates to race and racism, uh, pick those up, read those. You'll get a lot of um, a big idea uh, uh, of what all of this uh, stuff is about. So first three podcasts tried to communicate um, the big idea, uh, especially as we see it communicated in those books of what it means to be woke, um, what is uh, social justice theory, as James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose call it in their book, Cynical Theories. Um, Today on this episode, what I want to do is talk about what does it mean to be an anti-racist, having established the big idea of these ideas, uh, we need to examine the calls to action that are being made. Uh, Simply put, if you believe in these ideas, uh, if you believe in uh, the core tenets of this movement or wokeness, what should you do? What are you being told to do? Well, you've probably heard the term anti-racist. That's really the the name, the term that that, uh, that really encompasses uh, all the calls to action and what you're called to be doing. So that's what we're going to define right now. Now let me make a big preface that we will circle back to and make sense of as we go. Anti-racist, to be an anti-racist does not merely mean you condemn racism. It does not merely mean you you don't practice racism or you're not a racist. It doesn't even mean principally that you just love all people equally regardless of skin color. Okay? So if your neighbor is of a different skin color than you and you love them just as much and you serve them just as well as your other neighbor who's of a different skin color than that neighbor, that is not principally what it means to be quote unquote an anti-racist. That's surely hopefully included in the de- definition, but it's not the ultimate or end goal of what people mean when they talk about being an anti-racist. Okay, that has to be known upfront, and we'll make sense of that as we go. First, what does it mean to be an anti-racist? It means, first and foremost, you must confess your racism. You must confess your racism. There are really two categories of people, um, those who are victims of racism. Uh, This is primarily, uh, if not solely, um, going to be black people. Um, And there are perpetuators of racism, whether they're intentionally perpetuating it or not, Uh, Whether it's direct or indirect or it's complicit or it's a compromise with it in some form or fashion, there are perpetuators of it. This is primarily white people, even though black people can actually perpetuate it as well. This is really what the book by Robin DiAngelo, White Fragility, is all about. This whole concept of white people have this fragility, this this knee-jerk reaction to any idea that they're racist. And so... Robin D'Angelo's whole argument uh, and that whole book is really about, uh, again, how how white people just have this resistance to admit that they are racist. And so one of her major goals is to help 
um, again, primarily white people, um, see their racism, understand their racism, and first and foremost, admit it. Okay. Um, now, what is white fragility? White fragility is a racist person being confronted with their racism and reacting and trying to justify themselves and, and do away with that, with that accusation or that idea. And so any disagreement, what this means is any disagreement with this whole concept um, of this widespread racism, particularly among white people, is really showing its face uh, when you disagree. Any disagreement with it is just showing its face. Um, it's, actually, it's actually the racism embedded in us and in our way of life that, that leads us to disagree with all of this. So that's why Robin DiAngelo says the only appropriate response to someone telling you that you're a racist is to say, quote, thank you, end quote. It's really to, it's, it's just to accept it. Okay, that's the first step. Ibram Kendi and How to Be an Anti-Racist um, makes this clear, writing, quote, the claim of, quote, not racist neutrality is a mask for racism, end quote. So the claim of of being this neutral, not racist person to Kendi is just a mask for racism. Okay, now what this means is is huge for this whole worldview and why it's so hard to talk about. Um, because this is how the worldview argues. And there's a couple ways you can kind of outline this, but the basic logic follows. That premise one, America is racist, it's embedded with racism, and everyone is either a proponent of it, excuse me, a, a yeah, or a proponent or a perpetuator of it, or a victim of it. And again, this particularly falls along lines of white skin, black skin, okay? White people typically are the are perpetuators of racism in some form or fashion, black people are going to make up the category of those victims to it. Okay, that's premise one. Premise two is if you disagree with premise one, saying that you are somehow neutral in all of this and you're not a racist, you're not a victim of it, and you don't perpetuate it either, you're just neutral, you prove premise one is true. That's premise two. If you disagree with premise one, you're just proving premise one is true. Conclusion... Some people disagree with this worldview, and therefore the worldview is correct. Some people disagree that America is racist, but that's really just racism talking. That's really racism trying to hide. So you can see the, 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 the circular reasoning, right? That this worldview is based on a, on, a, on a very significant assumption. Again, we talked about this. You can go back to the, the first three episodes that, that Robin DiAngelo in her book, uh, Jamar Tisby in his book, they explicitly say they're not going to show a smoking gun for these claims about racism being embedded in everything and everywhere. Instead, it's proved, the invisible reality of racism is proved simply by pointing to people who disagree with this worldview. And that, that is said to prove the worldview is true. Okay, so you can either remain a, ra a racist, admitting it, um, you can admit you're a racist, or you can deny you're a racist, and either way you're, in their eyes, remaining a racist, or you can admit it and become an anti-racist. Those are the only two options. Those are the only two options. That this worldview, that social justice theory, that wokeness, whatever we want to call it, gives to absolutely everyone, at least in this country, if not the world. Um, now, you can't miss this. You cannot miss this because this is why it is so hard to talk about this stuff. 
This is why it is so hard for you to talk about this stuff with your friends, with your family, with your coworkers. This is why so many people are scared to even talk about this stuff. Like, don't even want to talk about it. Don't want to open their mouth about it. Because intrinsic to the foundation of this worldview is that those who think this worldview is wrong or have disagreements about it are proving it right. And what happens when you prove it right? Well, if you're a white person and you disagree with it, you just prove the worldview is right. And the worldview says that you are a perpetuator of racism. Um, if you disagree, if you know all this stuff, if you read the books and you disagree with this stuff, like obviously you can tell I have many disagreements with this and we'll, we'll get into that more in um, uh, I, I believe the next uh, episode is I really start to engage with these ideas. If you know all this stuff and disagree, this worldview essentially says you should be aware of your racism and you probably are and you're just accepting of it, you know, or you're just so blind. You're just so blind. Um, there's something wrong with you. You know, it's not merely intellectual, honest, reasonable disagreement and dialogue but it's actually like racist white supremacist persecution against uh, other people so so this conversation quickly moves into the realm of morality rather than than honest conversation it's about it's about the oppressed and the oppressors conflicting with one another and um and you can either continue being an oppressor or you can admit you're an oppressor. You can admit you're a racist person or you've been involved in this racist system. And now you can start to work on behalf of the oppressed. That's the only option. So Lindsay and Pluckrose in their book, Cynical Theories, says, um, like a postmodern worldview, this worldview, quote, refuses to substantiate itself and cannot, therefore, be argued with, end quote. It refuses to substantiate itself and cannot, therefore, be argued with, end quote. Um, now, this should make sense why Robin D'Angelo, Jamar Tisby, and their books and others really see no need to prove that racism exists everywhere in every corner of the country. They just don't need to do that. That is the assumption, the a priori knowledge from the outset. Typically, it's mostly substantiated by history, right? We see racism plague American history, and the jump, the assumption, is that it's still here today. It's just gone invisible, okay? And any disagreement with that idea that I just said is actually proving it to be true. That's the reasoning. So what you can uh, kind of start to see is that this reasoning, the reasoning of this world, where you rest not necessarily on what accords with reality. Not necessarily what with what accords with reality, but with what accords with subjective experience. This is so key to understand how this worldview operates and substantiates itself when it even attempts to do so. Um, uh, it is it is based in subjective experience. In other words, if someone feels they've been a victim of racism, they have. They have. It's almost irrelevant to prove anything. If they feel they've been a victim of racism, they have. This is this whole kind of postmodern, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, speak your truth kind of deal, right? Everyone has their own truth. And as long as, as, long as our truths don't uh, have to somehow go to war due to the law of like non-contradiction, then we can just kind of stay in our own world with our own truth. 
Okay, I think this is what Ibram Kendi is getting at when he says that, quote, it is impossible to be objective, end quote. So this worldview thrives and is really based on subjective uh, experience to dictate what is truth. Now, the question is, if, if your truth is that you're not a racist and my truth is you're a racist, which is the truth? Well, in this worldview, the oppressed always trumps the oppressor. It is the story of the victim, the alleged victim, the self-proclaimed victim, the person who, who believes they're a victim or they've been oppressed in some form or fashion. Their story trumps any story that would go against it. Um, it is the oppressed and their subjective experience that always trumps the uh, oppressor. All right. First, you must admit you're a racist. If you want to be an anti-racist, second, you must act. You must act. Now, um, the reason that this conversation might feel so tense in a lot of ways is because this worldview, there's no room to merely agree. There's no room to merely agree. And this would make sense. This would make sense that if everything in American life is racist, that, uh, that yeah, we need to act different. So this isn't, this isn't much of a surprise. But to be an anti-racist is to act. Jamar Tisby says, quote, the only wrong action is inaction, end quote. The only wrong action is inaction. He goes on to say that he wrote his book to lead everyone to, quote, immediate fierce actions to confess. And I'm putting kind of the next part in my own words to confess. Uh, this is kind of my own words of, of his quote, making sense of it, to confess our failure to confront racism in the church and work for justice. Okay, so he wrote his book to get people to, to immediate fierce actions to confess our failures regarding racism, and to begin working for justice. Okay, that's Jamar Tisby. So there's only two options for you in this worldview. There are only two options. You can remain a racist in whatever form or fashion you are a racist. You can remain a racist, perpetuating a system of racism, or you can fight against it as an anti-racist. There are not, uh, I mean, the only other option is that you're a victim of racism. Okay. Um, this is where the, the, the term anti-racist has really grown in popularity and kind of become the staple, um, really kind of test for where you stand with all this stuff. Uh, Ibram Kendi writes, there's no neutrality in the racism struggle. The opposite of racist isn't not racist. It is anti-racist. In other words, if you say I'm not racist, that's really kind of key for people and proponents in this worldview to see where you stand because they they reject that they they condemn that kind of idea of just saying i'm not racist because in their minds again there's no neutrality there's no neutrality you are either perpetuating racism or fighting against it that's it now what does an anti-racist get busy doing what are the fierce actions um again an anti-racist is not someone merely loving everyone equally regardless of their skin color um, it, it's not someone who's just a good neighbor to everyone, regardless of their skin color. That's maybe included in the definition, but that's not the ultimate principle part of what it means to be an anti-racist. Now, in terms of what does an anti-racist get busy doing, this is hard to answer because solutions are very hard to identify in a lot of these works. Um, it, it's hard to sometimes see and know what, what exactly it does an anti-racist do on a given Monday or a given week, or a given month, what do they do? Um, but one of the best ways, I think, to understand what does an anti-racist do, which, by the way, as I say this, I know Jamar Tisby, I think, recently came out with a book about 
this very answering this very question of of what does an anti-racist do that I have not uh, I haven't yet read. But if we look at the problem, we can kind of guess what the activity should be just by logical implication. The problem is always said to be America's laws, systems, rules, unwritten rules, processes, ways of life. So the guess uh, of what an anti-racist does, I would say, is an anti-racist is someone who gets busy getting at the root of all American society and doing the work of uprooting, dismantling, deconstructing, and rebuilding. An anti-racist would be about changing the sweeping racist laws, rules, procedures, processes, uh, regulations, guidelines, etc., norms of society. I mean, if that's the problem, then that's what needs to change. And again, I've, I've made this clear that what those laws, rules, procedures, regulations are is, is by and large, if not entirely left, unclear. Um, but I would assume that an anti-racist is about changing those things, whatever those things are. According to Jamar Tisby, again, Jesus needs to, quote, deconstruct and, quote, remake America and the church in America into, quote, into a house for all nations, end quote. Okay, so I would assume an anti-racist is in this business of deconstructing and remaking the nation and the church in some form or fashion. Okay, so ending er, eradicating racism in America is not really personal. It's not about personal relational transformation. Um, it, is, it is by and large political in nature. Okay, now, to be more specific, Ibram Kendi writes, quote, the only remedy to present uh, discrimination is future discrimination, end quote. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination, end quote. So um, an anti-racist upholds racial categories, the very racial categories that this worldview condemns rightly as man-made constructs. It seeks to fiercely uphold and it seeks to essentially reverse discriminate. Uh, the point is to be able to discriminate in favor of those who have historically been discriminated against. That's what Ibram Kendi is saying there. The solution to present discrimination is future discrimination. Now, what's the goal of this future discrimination? It's essentially equity. Uh, equity referring to a... a uh, people ending up in the same place, the same outcome for all people. So you can think in terms of like income, uh, success in life, whatever it might be. We discriminate in favor of some people to get them to the same place, the same outcome as everyone else. And, and we could list a thousand different categories of, of, of sameness, right? Income could be one of them. Um, again, you could go back to James Lindsay's example that I used in a previous podcast about you have uh, a black person and a white person walk into your, your store at the same time. Who do you choose to say hi to first? Who do you choose to offer help to first? Uh, present, uh, future discrimination would look like making an assumption about this black person because we uphold racial categories. And so we want to see that they're black, of course, as though as though we couldn't, but then we want to assume something about their past and their culture that we assume based on their skin color, and we discriminate in favor of them over and against the white person. 
again, that's, that's not an illustration Kendi interacts with. I'm just trying to use that same illustration to say, I think this is what Kendi's getting at when he talks about the answer to current discrimination is future discrimination. Now, the power behind this is ultimately the government. Most of this revolves around uh, the power of the government. Um, again, while action, actual action steps are vague, there are enough calls to action in these books to see ultimately that an, that an anti-racist is a political activist of sorts. It's someone who is definitely um, uh, engaging in politics in some sort of fashion, looking to the government to reform society, looking to the government to reform itself, looking to the government as, as really the ultimate answer to bring about uh, this kind of utopic vision for society. Okay. So to, to list some examples, like there's some things that, that were, that were essentially focused on as, as racist problems in America. And you can see how the government is involved in all of these things, which, which then implies and shows, well, if we want reform, if we want a better society, we have to look to the government to bring it about. So some of the things focused on, uh, that anti-racism is focused on would be like the government creating equity. Just talked about that. Uh, the government's uh, alleged suppression of voters, uh, police violence, which is a government institution, reparations. Again, that reparations being would be brought about by some government uh, policy. Uh, capitalism itself, uh, voting. You think of like voter ID laws, things like that. Again, these are the topics that regularly come up that again and again and again makes me conclude that ultimately and principally an anti-racist is someone looking to the government and the power of the government to reform society. Now, it's worth saying this again. In all of this, it is largely still unclear what, quote, written and unwritten laws, rules, procedures, processes, regulations, and guidelines, end quote, need to change regarding race and racism. Uh, you'd have to be a fool to think that governments are perfect. Um, America has a history where many of our laws and policies and processes and whatnot needed concrete, obvious change so that all men and women would be treated equally in this country. What they are today is left largely unclear. I say largely unclear. I mean, I could say entirely unclear. I don't know what they are, even after reading and interacting with these with these works and, and other books. I've chosen these three books to really interact with, but um, in all of the reading and all of the listening, those things are still unclear. But what is clear is that an anti-racist really has very little to do with your own heart, it has very little to do with your own friendships, your own relationships. Um, it has almost everything to do with political engagement of some kind, government reform of some kind, um, revolution of some kind, remaking and rebuilding the American nation, as Tisby would say, remaking and rebuilding the church in America, as Jamar Tisby uh, speaks about in his book. This is ultimately what it means to be an anti-racist. So saying you're not racist, um, uh, even saying, you know what, I was racist and I'm repenting of it. This is not, that's not what it means to be an anti-racist. That's just the first baby step. 
really an anti-racist is somehow in some form or fashion looking to the government to bring about reform in the government and in the society that it can wield its power over. All right, that is it for trying to summarize these ideas of what it means to be woke, what, what these big ideas are, uh, what the big ideas of social justice theory are, and what it means to be an anti-racist. On the next two episodes, um, we're going to talk about, we're going to answer two questions. I'm going to answer two questions. I'm going to start really engaging with these ideas more and responding to them more. I'm going to answer the question of, are these ideas reasonable? And how should we think of them as Christians? So until then, peace. Peace.